And we are very glad that you have joined us today to worship. And we pray, and it is our desire that as we gather together and fellowship together, that we can really enjoy the presence of God. And uh, once again, we ask God's blessings upon our our gathering today. And uh, Cindy is going to lead us in our call to worship. Please join me in our call to worship. Can you see that? (laughs) Me, me. Since it's responsive, I'm going to wait until you can see your part. These are the times when we remember why we're here. We're here to worship. Okay. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor.
Before you take a seat, make sure you greet someone in the area nearby. Um, we do not prevent people from crossing now. You're welcome to do that as well. But just take a moment to greet one another. As you are, um, as you're taking your seats, just want to bring a few highlights uh, from the life of the church. Uh, first of all, next Sunday we'll end our summer Sabbath time, and we will have two services next Sunday. One is at 8:20; it'll be a contemporary worship service, and then at 11 o'clock we have a traditional service. And we have the privilege once again of hearing from Pastor Mike; he'll be sharing with us. Note that there is not Sunday school, not until September 2nd. So next Sunday there's an 8:20 service, and then an 11 o'clock service, and Pastor Mike will be sharing. Also beginning uh, next week will be our Sunday evening services as well. So at 6 p.m. next Sunday, we have the privilege of coming together and we'll have an old-fashioned hymn sing. A great time with just gathering and singing God's hymns and perhaps in choruses mixed in with the group, but just worshiping God through music. You've probably noticed outside we have new asphalt and pavement over here on the south side of the church. Um, we're grateful for the contractors and the great work they've done. However, we can't park our cars on it yet. Um, Steve didn't make a mess of the cones this week. He purposely set those up so we wouldn't park over there. Hopefully you didn't. Um, but the, we can drive through and around and out the church. So as you exit today, you can just drive on it out. Just don't park and sit there and think, this was really feeling good to sit on the new asphalt. Move right along. It's not cured yet. They feel by um, next Sunday we should be able to park the vehicles. That we can, so it should be opened up for us. Um, on Sunday, to have our regular parking on both the north and south side of the church. However, during the week, you'll see that it'll be blocked off again. So if you need to come to the church, whether it's for some meetings or you want to come into the offices and um, you have to gather up with the pastors or whatever it might be, you'll need to enter through the north entrance of the Christian Ed building. Um, you can park over here and then come on inside and you can find your way through the, the maze and find us over here or go to the different meetings you have. But the south entrance and the normal office entrance will all be closed and locked during this, uh, during this week as well. August 26th will be the, youth, or the annual youth um, parents meeting. It will be during the Sunday school hour time. Again, the Sunday school won't be happening at that, on that particular Sunday because it's the last Sunday in August. But if you are a parent and you have uh, children that are in the youth program, strongly encourage you to go to that time with Pastor John Cole. You'll learn a wealth of information about the youth program, what they're going to be doing through the course of the year, as well as how you might be able to be involved to help uh, be a part of that program, that ministry to our teens. So mark that date, August 26th. And as well on that same date, August 26th, in the evening at 5 p.m., will be our welcome potluck. And we want to welcome there are a load of people that have been moving into the community of Houghton as well as moving out. And what we want to do at 5 o'clock, we'll have our potluck. There will be additional information. Uh, check your bulletins throughout the next coming weeks. Um, but we want to welcome the people. We'll have a chance to introduce them to the, the church as well. There are some student athletes and student life representatives or workers that work for Student Life that will be here. They get here the 19th and the 21st in August, and we want to welcome them and invite them. So if you know athletes and you know some of these young uh, college students that are here on the campus, invite them as well, August 26th at 5 o'clock. And obviously there are a number of prayer concerns. Uh, we encourage you to take these home and read through them carefully and spend time in prayer for the variety of different people and, and needs that we have in our church. Uh, noting specifically this week, Marilyn Kerr's uh, mom passed on, and we want to lift them in prayer and their families to go through this difficult time. Amen. We will continue to uh, worship right now with uh, being led by our, our worship team. Please stand and join us as we sing.
I'll be reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 17. This is a familiar, wonderful story. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokah in Judah and Azekah at Ephes-Damim. Saul countered by gathering his troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. Then Goliath a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings, and he slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. An armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons in all. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. Since David's three oldest brothers were in the army, they stayed with Saul's forces all the time. But David went back and forth between working for Saul and helping his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers, and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. 
See how your brothers are getting along? Bring me back a letter from them. Three of David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, he saw Goliath, the champion from Gath, come out from the Philistine ranks shouting his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men were asking. He comes out each day to challenge Israel. Have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife and exempt his whole family from paying taxes. Wow. David talked to some others standing there to verify this report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to his abuse of Israel? He asked them, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David received the same reply as before. What you've been hearing is true. That is the reward for killing the giant. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. Older brothers know everything. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight this Philistine. Oh. Don't be ridiculous, the king replied. There is no way you can go against this Philistine. You are only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I take the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will save me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, and and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not used to them. So he took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across to fight Goliath. Goliath walked out toward David with a shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? He roared at David, and he cursed David by the names of the Philistine gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin? 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and I will give your bodies, the bodies of your men, to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel, and everyone will know that the Lord doesn't need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it from his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. And since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. I'd like you to stand and sing the doxology as the ushers come forward to take our tithes and our offerings. And children ages 2 to 5 are dismissed to go to Children's Church. unbroken will fall down at your feet so we wait for that one day come quickly we want to see your glory every knee falls down before thee every tongue offers you One 
What a beautiful preparation and introduction to our time of prayer. And as always, the altar is, is open and you are welcome. And feel free to come forward if you'd like to kneel at the altar and just spend time in prayer as we unite our hearts and we pray together and bring our concerns and our adoration, our praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please feel free to come forward. Lord, what a great and mighty God you truly are. What a privilege to know you personally, to experience your love and your fellowship. And not day to day, but second to second, Lord. You never leave us, never forsake us. You are faithful, holy merciful and mighty and somehow in those great big powerful mighty hands is a gentle kind and loving and warm God who holds us and comforts us in our times of need as well we adore you we love you and Lord we confess that in the process of our efforts to to walk with you and to, to be faithful to you. We fail. And we get tangled up with the things of this earth. And our focus is lost. And we struggle, Lord, with issues, personal ones, maybe within our families. And we get completely distracted. And so, God, we confess to you, Lord, those weaknesses that we possess. And we thank you. We thank you, God, that you hear our cry. And that you forgive. And you make us whole and complete again. And you renew our strength that we might mount up with wings like eagles and run and not grow weary. God, you are truly great and greatly to be praised. Lord, within this world that we live and have the privilege of carrying your name and being your examples to the people around us, there is so much heartache and so much pain. Lord, we bring before you just the number of people we know within our own congregation and our own community and and extended families beyond. The multitude of of pain and suffering and the grief that is going. We think specifically even today, Lord, of Marilyn Kerr and her family as they mourn the loss of her mom. We pray, God, for comfort. And Lord, there's a number of others within our family who have recently suffered loss and continue to wrestle with the dynamics of moving forward and moving on and not wanting to let go. We ask, God, that you would comfort, that would you in your greatness and in your, your gentleness, allow us, Lord, to 
to press on and to feel encouraged and be renewed, Lord, to be able to move forward and, and to sense, God, the victory that we have in you, even in those difficult times. Lord, there's a number of people with health issues as well, and we bring them to you and ask, God, that you would heal and touch them. We know, God, that you are more than able to solve all those kinds of uh, illnesses and problems. And, and yet, Lord, we also understand that there are times that you allow these to come across us into our paths, into our lives. And, Lord, if we would just lean, lean on you and trust not in our own understanding, but trust, God, you that we can know that you will, as a result of these times, strengthen us and prepare us, Lord, for what lies ahead. So we commit these as well to you, Lord, knowing full well you are aware of, of these needs and that you will heal us in due time. Lord, there's a number of people that are moving in and moving out of this community. And we pray for those transitions in life that you will bless those people as they travel. We think of the leeches and thank you for the ministry they've had here. And, and we thank and praise you for their church that uh, has called them there in North Carolina. As they make that transition, be with their family and bless them and, and let them have a great time of serving you there. And Lord, for the many others who are moving on to other employment situations or for whatever other reasons, Lord, that they might be called to move on, we pray for their safety and for their transitions, that God, you would go before them and light the path and guide their... And for those that are coming to this community, God, we praise you for that. And we thank you for bringing people here that they might be able to uh, work amongst us and around us. And Lord, we pray for them and the various needs that they have, whether it's moving, whether it's friends and finding friends and, and new fellowship. Lord, we think of the need for finding a church home. And certainly, God, we'd be thrilled if people chose here. But we pray, more importantly, God, that you would direct them, that you would encourage them to find a church home, to get settled in. And they would be able to continue to grow in you. Oh God, you are faithful. And there are so many things on our minds. We think of the elections that are coming, Lord. Um, and it's, it's the whole thing this time, Lord. It's right through from right in our own local community here, right up through the county and the towns and the cities and the states to our government and, and the office of the President of the United States. Lord, we have a responsibility to one another, to you to exercise the freedom that so many, many men and women gave their lives for. That freedom, Lord, to vote, to, to worship you. And we pray, God, that we would take time to, to do the best we can to know who, Lord, you would have us cast our votes for. And what a privilege it is, God. And may we really enjoy that more than anything else in this process. And God, may, whether we're satisfied if our if people make it in the office or not, Lord, more importantly, we trust you and know that you are in control and you will accomplish your good and perfect will. And so, Lord, we lean on you in, in these times for our nation. And we thank you again, Lord, for those who serve us so faithfully. And whether it's in the military or in government positions or in the educational institutions, as colleges are starting up, the public schools start soon, and summer is coming to an end, but other things are coming to a beginning. And so we, we just look forward to all that is coming on ahead. And Lord, as we conclude this time of prayer, as we have um, just listened and, and meditated in our own hearts and minds, we now join together 
and pray together the Lord's Prayer that you have taught us together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For I is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Ever, um, ever play games as a child that uh, there's a handful of you gathered together, maybe it's marbles, maybe it's some other just fun little crazy game that doesn't have any hard and fast rules to it. And so you gather together, five, six, seven, eight of you. Maybe you got a big family. It's all within the family and the, the, the gang is playing. I watched this a few times within my own family with Kyle, Caleb, Ben, Brianna, the whole gang as they were playing different games. 
um, over the years. And as the game begins to unfold, whether it's marbles or whatever it is, somebody doesn't like the way the game outcome is kind of progressing. So they institute a change of the rules in mid-flight. And typically, somehow they persuade the changing of the rules and the others kind of succumb to this person with all this new authority. And as the rules change, the game changes. And essentially, I, I, sometimes I kind of felt like the game back when I was growing up was who could change the rules at the end and end it real quick before somebody else came along and changed the rules again on you. Um, but it's an interesting thing that we have as, as humans. We always want to win and we always want to be on top in the process of these little things. Even as little kids, um, we see that happening often. And I, I just love watching our kids and, and as they were growing up and doing those things on the mission field and different games and uh, watching them establish hard and fast rules. And they, stri- they strove really to play quite fairly with one another. It's just that the elaboration of the rules that began the games was pretty amazing in our family. And they would go on for half an hour laying the ground rules and play for five minutes or something like that. And um, it was just a load of fun. But um, this story of David and Goliath reminds me a little bit about that. And I know you're thinking, David and Goliath, the rules, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, the stage is set. Uh, right in the very beginning, in those first 11 verses, um, you have the Philistines and you have the Israelites. And they are going to war. And there's the, the Valley of Elah, right between the two warring factions. They have gathered together and they're going to do their warlike thing. And they're going to come down and they're going to battle. And they're going to go back and have coffee breaks and go back down and battle. And it's just this ongoing process of battle that's going to take place. And so they've gathered And somewhere along about the eighth verse in this chapter, this mountain of a man, Goliath, who's over nine feet tall, he has 125 pounds of mail on him, and he's got a 15-pound spearhead and this massive beam for a spear, and all these items, he's got people carrying his shields from him. He's huge. And he walks down into the valley, and he starts to cry out, and and he makes up rules. He says, all right, here's the scoop. Let's not have everybody kill each other. What a waste. What a waste of this. Let's, let's do this. I will represent the Philistines, and you pick somebody from Saul's army. Certainly you've got somebody over there, and we'll do battle. And if we win, you become our slaves. And if you guys win, we'll become your slaves. And I defy the God of Israel and his armies that somebody would come down and challenge me. And he, he lays the ground rules. And Saul and the Israelites cower, and they're frightened, and they step back. And I'm thinking, he didn't play when I played as a kid. (laughs) The Israelites weren't thinking straight. What in the world are they doing? I mean, yeah, the guy's a big dude. Big deal. Come down the next day and just pelt him with a thousand spears. Who who says we got to do things his way? But for whatever reasons, the Israelites decide to let Goliath, this mountain of a man, determine the battle rules. And he changes everything and says it's one-on-one. And certainly he's doing it because he knows there's probably not one guy over there that's going to be able to take me on. And it's logical. The conclusion is logical. And the Israelites are seeing this as well. And they're just cowering back in this process. And they have lost focus. They've lost focus. They're no longer thinking about God, the God of Israel, who has protected them and led them through all these things. They've, they've lost focus of God. They've lost focus of their families and the responsibilities to their families. They, they're sitting there thinking, this guy's huge. There's nobody 
that can take this guy on. And they're just totally distracted by this mountain of a guy that's wandered down in there and decided to change all the rules. And like I said, I think, you know, I don't know what I would have done, but I just know there's a load of young kids that grew up in, in my area in North Carolina that we would have changed the rules on him real quick. And the next day he came down there, he would have been hightailing it out of there and we'd do things the way we wanted to do it, not the way he wanted to do it. And again, focus. The Israelites have lost their focus. David, young David, little shepherd boy, um, he doesn't know all this is happening. And his dad, Jesse, they're miles away. And along about verses 19, 17 through 19 in this chapter, um, they decide, hey, David, let's get some stuff together. Let's get some goods together. And we'll get some corn, roasted corn and things of this nature. And we're going to send it on in. I want you to take it in and uh, take some extra special stuff for the commander, of course. And we'll go in there and just kind of check things out. See how the war's going. <laughs> See how the war's going. Send your son in, you know. And David is, I'm sure, excited about this. He's got a, three older brothers that are in the battle. And he's getting to go over there. Think about that today. You know, hey, Josiah, why don't you, uh, we'll fly you over, you know, when Caleb was in Afghanistan. We'll fly you over there and just check up on Caleb and see how he's doing, that kind of stuff. And come back with some information. Yeah, take some chocolate-covered kisses and almonds and M&Ms. Give him that kind of stuff. You know, what an interesting thought. That David is going to be sent down. How different it was in those days, the warring concepts. That they literally would just kind of get on opposite ends, come down, do a little battle, go home, have a little coffee break or whatever they do. And in this process, that's where David's going. He's going, and I'm sure he's pretty excited about the opportunity to see his brothers. But more than anything else, probably to see a little bit of the, mm, the stuff that's happening. Because he's a young man. And he's dealt with violence as a shepherd himself, as we will find out as we go through this. So off David goes, he runs down or hustles down to the battle area and he finds the supply officer and he gives over the goods and gives instruction. This goes to my brothers, this goes to the commander, et cetera, et cetera. And he gets the chance to go down to the front lines where his brothers are. What a cool thing. He gets to go right down in the thick of it as they start to mount the attack or whatever. And they move on down into the valley and down comes Goliath. He steps out of his ranks and he just bellers out in verse 23, I think it is. He just bellers out his typical thing. Anybody want to take me on? You know, let's just settle this man-to-man kind of thing. Your God, I defy him. I defy your armies. And he just rants and raves about um, the Israelites and how weak they are and their God. And that they need to, to send somebody to come battle him. And, and David hears all this along about verse 23. He says, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, I know I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but, you know, it's a big, it's a big army. And there's probably a group of people that tend to walk down into the front lines most every day. And there's a bunch of people in the back lines. And they've been hearing rumors day after day after day about this mountain of this guy that's down there. And he keeps defying the armies of Israel and God and everything. And so every day when they go down, there's a handful of new guys that are standing here really kind of gawking to see this freak of nature that's defying and it's terrifying. And so every day there's new guys saying, man, did you see that guy? Did you see what he said? Did you hear what he said? And all these kind of stuff. And, and David overhears them saying, so if I got this right now, uh, whoever takes this guy on and, and, and takes him and cleans him out and beats him up and, and kills him, he gets the king's daughter in marriage. He's, he's pretty cool. I like that. And uh, boy, no taxes and all these benefits start to show up. The little perks for the person who takes on the giant and defeats him. 
And David hears this and he says, what was that you just, what was that? And he starts to go to people and they repeat it to him all over again. And he, he's like really intrigued and he goes to somebody else and asks them. And his brother Eliab says, David, what are you doing here? And he's irritated. Now the, the brothers may have been in and out of the front lines a handful of times and are really stressed out about what's going on, realizing they can't really do anything about this and they're kind of scared. And here's their little brother standing in here, nosing around, trying to find out what's going on here. What's this about the king saying this, that, and the other? And why is this guy defying our God and and the Israelites? And and Eliab's just really frustrated with David and mocks David. See, why don't you go back to your little sheep and go play with the little fuzzballs and do what you're supposed to do and leave us alone. We got men's work here. You go back and do your thing. But David, being the nice, obedient little brother that he is, kind of tore a hat of there and said, no. And he continues to press the issue and asking around. And somehow this curious little shepherd boy and his curiosity about the whole thing gets to Saul. It's impressing people either negatively or positively, but it's causing Saul to be informed about this shepherd man, David, running about asking persistently about what's going on here. And so Saul, around verse 31, sends for David. And so we pick that part of what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. In verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Uh, I'm sure Saul was a little perplexed about this. He's got a whole mountain of trained soldiers and none of them are really interested in taking on this giant. And here comes this little shepherd boy who hasn't really got any experience with man-to-man warfare. And he says, don't worry about it. I got it. I got your back. You know, those t-shirts you see all the time. I got your back. We got it. We'll take care of this. David, I don't know if he even understands what he's really saying. He's taking upon himself. He's willing to take upon himself the whole responsibility of the nation of Israel. Because remember, if he loses, they become slaves to the Philistines. And I don't think that's even a thought in his mind. He just says, I'll do it. I'm ready to go. Saul, being smart, says this. uh, Saul, uh, Saul says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. So that's Saul's response in this process. Um, David comes back with this comment. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it, and I killed it, both the lion and the bear. And because this big guy is defying the armies of Israel, God... And defying God as well. God will help me defeat him like I have defeated both the lion and the bear. Now, I propose a couple things that are intriguing in this process. First of all, David's childlike faith. It it can be nothing more than a childlike faith. To go out there and say, I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but I'll take him on. When David looks at Goliath, he sees a lion a tiger, things that he's overcome with God's help. He doesn't see this nine-foot-tall giant and all the armor and all the other things. He sees 
someone that he's going to take out. All the others didn't see that. They were not looking through the filter of God's eyes, so to speak. They were looking through man's eyes. And Saul was looking through man's eyes and trying to be realistic and explain to David, you you don't have a chance. But after David explains all this to Saul on the second little conversational piece, Saul's eyes are opened to a degree. And in verse 37, he says, go and the Lord be with you. Shift gears for a minute to another story in the Old Testament. Joseph and there's Potiphar, and, and Joseph had become a part of Potiphar's household through the uh, sale. His brother sold Joseph into, you know, into slavery, so to speak. And, and Joseph was just a sharp guy. And he rose up within Potiphar's home and did great things. And Potiphar was just, just having all kinds of success on the account of Joseph. But then Potiphar's wife lies, and there's a fake little deal, and Joseph lands in jail. While in jail, people, he starts again to just be the man of God that he is. And, and people are attracted to him. And he rises up and he becomes one of the, the head dudes in the, in the jail service system down there within behind bars all the time. And a couple guys have dreams. And they're kind of perplexed and nervous. And Joseph picks up on it and they talk. And he, he helps them with their dreams and explains, here's what's going to happen. And one had some good news and one had some bad news. And eventually they are released. And the truth happens. One dies and, and one lives. Years later, and, and Joseph had hoped that they would tell the, the Pharaoh about this, but it didn't happen that way. Well, years later, the Pharaoh has this horrible dream, and he's panicked, and he's confused, and, and he's perplexed. And the, I think it's the cupbearer, one of the two, who is still living and is, and is in the Pharaoh's um, uh, administration and, and what have you, remembers Joseph. And he goes, oh, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, I really blew this, but there's a guy I think that might be able to help you. His name is Joseph. He's in prison. So they send for Joseph. Joseph comes out. And he stands before the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh explains everything that took place. And Joseph said, ah, yeah, yeah, here's 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 what's happening here. You've got, God has revealed to you for a reason. This is important. There's going to be seven years of plenty. The crops are going to be booming. You're going to love it. It's just going to be incredible for seven years. Unbelievable, unbelievable success. However, followed by those seven years of success, we're going to have seven years of famine. And we're going to have nothing. There's going to be a barren land. And the God... God Almighty is revealing this to you so that during those seven years of plenty, you might be able to prepare and store enough to get us through the seven years of famine. So you're going to have to get somebody that's pretty sharp and knows what they're doing. And the Pharaoh thinks a little bit, and this is where I see a very similar relationship or response between the Pharaoh and Joseph and David and, and Saul. The Pharaoh looks at Joseph and said, you know what? You're the man for the job. You seem to be in tune with God. You seem to see the big picture. I want you to be that man. Saul, David, nobody else has offered anything. David seems in tune with God. David has no fear. You know what? You're the man for the job. I want you to go and represent the Israelites and represent our God against Goliath. And so I think there's a really interesting process there. Saul's eyes have been opened, and he sees ever so small, ever so lightly, slightly, this young boy who really loves God and believes he can overcome the enemy. So David gets prepared for battle now, verses 38 and 40. And I think that's a kind of a comical little scene. He can have a lot of fun with that one as well. He throws on, I mean, think about this now. He is a young teen probably, and he's getting to put on the king's armor, the tunic, the armor. He's getting the sword. I mean, I can think of our gang and how it was cool back in our home. 
to have, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings was a big deal back in, when we were over there in the Czech Republic. And the one who had that, I don't know what the name of the sword was, but the sword that was the, the little blue sword that lit up. Who was that one? Sting. Sting. That was the cool sword to have. And I could just picture Davis in there. Whoa, baby, this is cool. <laughs> this is really cool. You know, and he can't, he can't do much with it because he's weighted down and it's a huge sword and he's not used to these kind of things. But man, this is the king stuff. And there's a, I think there's a little, little battle, but all of a sudden, just like before, David's eyes don't lose sight of God. And he doesn't choose man's options. All this armor and this sword. He chooses the options that he knows God has helped him before defeat the lion and the bear. So he gets rid of everything and he grabs some stones and the shepherd's staff and he goes off to battle. Again, he remains focused on God. He doesn't lose the ability to know it's God who this is about. It's not about man. It's not about Goliath or any of these other things. And I think that's just a, a very, again, just it's a, it's a fun piece of the story. But it's practical for us to understand. David remains faithful and convicted that this is about God. And stones or staff, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's what I know and it's what I know God can do through me. And so David is ready to go to battle. So he goes to battle. Goliath meets him and he mocks David and makes fun of him. He's going to, you know, you come at me like I'm a dog and makes all these fun comments and, and threatens David. I'm going to rip you shred to shred and feed the birds your flesh and all this kind of stuff. Really exciting, you know. I'm sure David's like, oh, that sounds really fun, you know. Um, I don't, you know, an interesting thing, but David doesn't, isn't phased by it. And he thinks back through, and his comments are simply this. And he, he really cuts to the point. He says, it's not about you, Goliath. It's, it's not about me. It's not about our weapons or your weapons. It's all about God. That's really what this is about. You have chosen to battle God today. You've defied God. You defied the army of God. And you are going to pay the price. And because of that, I'm going to win. Because I'm walking with God and you're not. And this is not going to be a pretty scene, buddy. And he just fires right back. So innocent, yet so confident is his faith and his focus on who God is and what God will accomplish. People will see and know that God is alive today. And it isn't you who make the rules, by the way. Now, you changed everything up and you decided, okay, it's one-on-one. You know what? It's God who's going to determine who wins his battle. And so I come at you in the name of God. And so that's David's uh, counter um, comments to to Goliath in those moments. And so the battle, it isn't a long battle, folks. It's really quick. It's, if you paid admission to go down to the, the boxing ring and to watch a 15-round fight between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier or something like that, and you sat down in about two seconds, it's over, you'd feel kind of bummed. And I think, you know, people who were all gathered around for the big moment, oh, they finally got somebody to challenge Goliath. And who is this? And everybody's gathered around and pow, pow, down, done. It's over. It's just that quick. David just grabs a stone, sling, Pow, kills him, knocks him down. And it's a done deal. It's just that quick. There's no, uh, none of this really crazy scenes of dodging the spear and the sword as it swings by. It's just a a quick, um, quick process. Such is the faith of David. It was just simple and to the point. God is going to win this battle. So let's reflect just for a moment as we review this. What? are the key issues, again, in this passage. I think for me, it's all about the focus in the big picture, in the big scheme of things. The Israelites lost their focus 
early on. They got scared because they saw this mountain of a man. And that focus just kept mounting up, and they became more and more fearful of the situation. And they allowed this man to determine the rules and things. I remember as a, as a child, we moved to the Adirondack Mountains from North Carolina. And what an extreme that was. Living on the coast, on the ocean, and then going up into the mountains. You couldn't, it's just incredible extremes. And I was about 13, 12, 13 years old when we made that move. And my dad is a fourth generation guideboat builder, Adirondack guideboat. And it's a very rare and unique uh, wooden vessel anywhere from 16 to 18 feet in length. And they're, they're, they're open. They're natural ribs, the wood, the ribs for these boats are cut out of the spruce knee or out of the rib or the uh, roots of a spruce tree. They're natural shaped, very strong boats, very lightweight, 60 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever. And they were introduced to the Adirondacks by guides because they had trouble getting around with canoes effectively and quickly. And so they decided to develop some kind of boat that would be more practical, could carry more weight and be quicker. And hence the Adirondack guide boat was developed back in the 1800s. And the trade continued on over the years, and my dad is currently one of the last original builder of the Adirondack guideboat by its original sense. Not, most of them are fiberglass nowadays or part fiberglass and part wood. When we moved to the Adirondacks back in 1971, um, dad threw me into a guideboat that he had built, his first one ever, and said, row. <laughs> kind of like throw the kid in the water and go for it. I was the youngest of the boys, and I started to row around. And these oars, they're eight feet long, and they overlap by about a foot and a half when you're rowing. And you go the opposite direction. Nothing made sense to me in this boat, trust me. Everything was just weird about it. Like, why would you have oars overlapping? Because every time it went like this, bam, bam. I had busted knuckles and blisters, and it was a mess. And I thought, this is crazy. Who would ever want to use this thing? But slowly, I became used to the boat. And I kind of liked it. And it was a unique thing. And I could hop in, and I could just... Scoot by people in canoes, even racing canoes. And dad then told me, you know what? They have races for these things all over the Adirondacks. And I thought, that'll be fun. And so I started to enter races and I started to win races. My dad had told me one thing in the very beginning of this, and I share this with you, for my success on the Adirondack guideboat, right on through racing in 44-mile races down to one-mile sprints. He said this, son, when you get in that water, you're going to sit there and you're going to be sitting in the water and you've got to find something on the shore or maybe a buoy or a big rock in the water and you've got to line up the back of your boat on that thing and when they say go and the gun sounds, you just row for all your worth away from that object but make sure you're pointing in the right direction when you line up to start with and just row and you don't have to spend the whole time looking over your shoulder to know where you're going because if you head away from that piece, you're going to be okay there and you'll have to check maybe every 30 or 40 or 50 strokes as opposed to every other stroke, like most people do. And you know what, it worked. I just had to focus. And I, I just focused on that piece, and I knew that that rock wasn't going anywhere, I knew that tree wasn't going anywhere, and I could win races time and time again, not because I was fast and strong, just because I kept focus, and I went down the races. I was beating people five, six, seven years older than me when I was 13 years old, all because of a technique and a trick that my dad had told me. Focus, it really is important. Don't lose focus on God like the Israelites did. David never did. He trusted in God. He believed that God was his help. And with the talents that God had given him, that would be enough to defeat Goliath. God is in charge of the battle. God's in charge of the battles of our lives. Not Satan. Not your friends. Not the IRS. Not your employer. God's in charge. He really, really is in charge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Trust God. Focus on God. Let him secure the victory. Not the Philistines. Not the Philistines. So, are you in a battle today? Have you lost your focus? Are you having a hard time seeing God in the midst of the battles of your life? Whether it's your grieving or it's employment or whatever it might be that 
is hounding at you and is stealing away your joy. Has the enemy got you thinking you haven't got a chance? I'm here to say you do. You have a great chance. Remember, God is in charge of the battles of our life. He knows all about them. Nothing, as I mentioned last week, nothing's going to come our way that isn't common to man. And God is faithful. He's not going to let us overcome over something with something that we can't handle if we choose him and his way out. We just need to focus on God and see him. He's the one who determines the rules of the battle. Choose him and let him do battle with and for you. And you will win. You'll win. Luke chapter 1, nothing is impossible with God. Jesus, or the angel, said that to Mary as she was hearing that she's now pregnant or will be pregnant with the baby Jesus. And Elizabeth, who's been barren for all her life, is also pregnant, by the way. Nothing is impossible with God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... These stories in the Old Testament, wow, they are so cool. But Lord, they are there for a reason. They're there to remind us on different characters of who you are and and sometimes the sin that we dig ourselves into as we see these examples of uh, different people. And we thank you for David and his life. And yeah, Lord, we know he messed up at different times too. But we also see some great things that he accomplished as a young man. And uh, Lord, today, as we go through this day and the days ahead, Strengthen us, encourage us, remind us of David. Remind us, more importantly, Lord, of the focus of David onto you, that we might do the same, that we would become focused and trusting and and know that you are our God and you will enable us to overcome the various obstacles that come our way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
receive the benediction. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen.